Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the campfire. The only place where friends and strangers alike sit down and tell tales in truth or fiction. In exchange of my blessing of their safe travels. Allow me to relight the fire while you relax and listen. Make your mind wander about the reality we live in. This story I'm about to tell you tonight is called My Grandfather Spoke Dozens of Languages. His final words were a warning in a language no one's heard of. Part 3 from user Max Voynich. Sit back, relax, and fall asleep as you listen to our tales. Amy furrowed her brow and scribbled some more notes on a pad of paper in front of her. She'd been listening for a while, trying to decode both gutters, trying to understand my grandfather's last words. She looked up at me, and for a second I thought I could see tears, but she blinked, and they disappeared. They loved each other very much, our grandfathers. She bit her lip. It's hard to translate all of it. Gutter has two meanings, two languages inhabiting the same space, and so much of what's actually communicated is in the contrast between the two. Does that make sense? I nodded. It did sort of. But he starts by saying he's very, very sorry. He apologizes for everything, for Paris, for Beijing, for Alex, and for Nancy, for the circus, for Artie's bad leg, and everything that came after. And he says he's so tired that he's so tired he can feel it in his bones, and that he wants to go. Wants to go so bad some days he can't get out of bed, but that he also wants to stay, wants to see you grow old, Max, wants to see you become a father. He says he feels like there's a war inside him. She takes a breath, but most of all he says he's sorry for the well, what happened at the well. He says he regrets that more than anything else. She looked at her paper, and I saw that she'd not only taken notes, but had also drawn small diagrams, a body shape split in two. I don't suppose your grandfather told you much about what we believe happens when you die. I shook my head. We? Who's we? I think she could see my confusion because she indicated to the moth on her neck and some sketches on the paper and rolled her eyes. If anything, that only made it more confusing. I don't have time to explain all of it, but there are a few things that seem important. She paused, chewed the end of her pen. He didn't tell you anything. I remembered his lessons, all of the words of wisdom he passed down to me, but nothing explicitly related to this. I started a response, trying to mumble out something, but she cut me off. Right, look, we believe that when your time comes, those you've wronged most come to take you to judgment. Whether that's outside the pearly gates, or meeting Anubis, or crossing the river Styx, whatever. Whoever you wronged most is there to speak on your behalf. I was following so far, that would explain Artie. I didn't want to interject, though, and suffer another withering look, so I kept quiet, looked engaged. But it's not entirely hopeless. Our souls are composed of two parts, broadly speaking. It's a little more complicated, but look. I felt, for a second, that she thought I was stupid. The better part of you is responsible for taking any souls that might have wronged you to judgment. And the worst, 
It manifests itself as ghosts, poltergeists, things that go bump in the night. But usually only for a short amount of time, until it just sort of wears itself out. You can't survive on hatred alone, so Artie will just disappear. Well, no. Whatever it is, I don't think the thing's entirely my grandfather. There's something else. I don't know what, though. Your grandfather doesn't mention it. He just talks about a deal, and a mistake, and something that dreams below the hills. What do we do? There was no reply. We sat for a while in the cabin. Amy made coffee, and we drank it in shared silence. There was a lot to think about, after all. I had so many questions I almost didn't know where to start, and my head instead churned up broken images. I saw Artie sitting in the corner of the room, watching my grandfather. I saw Dot walking towards me in the rain, saw his bloated corpse. I saw Amy, the ink black of her throat, the roll of her eyes, the gap in her teeth, her limp. Part of me wanted to keep her a secret as if admitting her to the world was somehow dangerous. I saw the separate parts of my soul, forced together and bound with bone in my chest. I saw a cave made from stone so black and wet it acted as a mirror. I heard the burbling of the stream running through it, and I knew the way the water was a tongue in the dark. The images began to come faster, more and more fragmented. I saw the back of Amy's head, slick with water. Blood, small leather books in a heap on a wooden floor, a stag's horns emerging from a black lake. My phone buzzed on the table and pulled me into the present moment. The screen cast a sterile light on the wood, forcing my eyes to adjust. I didn't realize how dark it had got. I made a face to Amy, and she shrugged as if to say who cares. I picked it up, my aunt. I hadn't seen her in nearing five years, which immediately made alarm bells ring and I only had her number for obligatory birthday calls. She'd never been close to the family, spending time in various institutions, stealing from my father and my grandfather, losing her mind slowly to drink and drugs and bad genetics. She was old now, older than my father, and the first seeds of dementia were beginning to bloom in her mind, their roots slowly worming their way into her memories. Sometimes I'd receive two or three birthday calls on the day itself, and would have the same conversation each time. Max, hi, auntie. Amy raised an eyebrow. I'm just calling to pass on a note. I heard a sound like she was fumbling with glasses, unfolding a piece of paper. Artie swung by earlier. Do you remember Artie? He and my father were so close, Max. So close, he was practically family. She paused for a moment. I could almost hear it, her brain searching itself, unable to compute the memory and the reality at once. Anyway, Artie, he came over and stopped for a chat. He told me to tell you that he'll be seeing you soon, Max. He said that was very important, that I must make sure that I tell you, that he'd be seeing the both of you soon and that he'd finish what they started. He didn't say much more. I felt my chest tighten, and Amy must have seen something in my face. Some pain or fear flash across it because she suddenly jotted something down and spun the pad round. What? My aunt spoke again, this time with a tone in her voice that reminded me of being a child. As if what she was telling me was at once obvious and important, an instruction that I must obey whether I understood or not. He was insistent, Max. It sounded important. Click. She hung up, and the dead tone on the other end began to sound like the sea, waves crashing through the static. I didn't know what to do. The idea that Artie had been there, so close to my family, hit me hard. My stomach turned in small, tight knots, and my mind began to move faster and faster. I had images of Artie visiting my mother, my father, my sister. I could see him now, tall and wet and pale, 
stooping his way in through their doorways, leaving wet footprints on the carpet. I saw Dot's body again, drowned on dry land, and what the water had done to his features, to his corpse. I couldn't let that happen. Amy watched the thought process play out across my face. I could see her small frown of empathy, the way her bottom lip pulled itself a little tighter. She was only here because of her family, after all, and despite all her bluster sometimes you could see that deep down she was scared, that this was a performance on her part, as if she was anticipating something far worse from the world. I know where the well is, Max. She spoke with a strange sense of calm, the same tone you hear from people reporting an accident. Or a car crash, as if something came next. We had no other choice. I tried to speak as rationally as possible, given out situation. So what's the problem? We head there to see if we can figure this out. See if we can stop him. She touched the tattoo on her neck, tucked her hair behind her ear. Something happens there. She stared at the coffee grounds in the bottom of her mug, reached in with her fingers, and rubbed the black sludge between them absent-mindedly. She repeated herself, but her eyes seemed vacant. I can see it. Something happens there. There was something else in her voice. Sadness. Apprehension. I tried to reassure her. No. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Amy, something happened. She looked at me with her private smile, as if I was missing the point. We set off the next day for the well, which she told me was somewhere in the Blackrock Hills. She said the last time her mother had seen Artie was heading into the Blackrock Hills with my grandfather. They were in the hills for seven days and seven nights, and when my grandfather finally returned it was alone and bruised, changed. We made a few preparations, stocking up on food from around the cabin, but it was more trying to fill the time than genuine forethought. The earth made it hard to walk, waterlogged and heavy, and our shoes made a thick squelch as we made our way up the footpath. Apart from us, it was strangely empty. The foot of the hills was only an hour or so walk from the cabin, and on our way there we'd passed next to no one. The storm had changed the forest. What were once brown trunks were now a deep black, and water had made the slopes ragged and fresh. All the dust and detritus had been washed down so that it collected in huge piles at the base of trees or the edge of flat clearings. It was as if the rain had some sort of intention, picking things up like a child and leaving them drenched. Instead of a compass, Amy had a small moth in a glass case, which would bang against the glass in that hopeless way moths do, as if it could see some urgent and pressing light that was invisible to us. She would watch it for a while every half an hour or so, before nodding to herself and setting off in a slightly altered direction. As we reached the top, and I felt my lungs begin to sting, we heard something in the distance, something that cut through the staccato of rainwater dripping from leaves something that sounded alive. The trees in front of us opened up to a large clearing, in the center of which was a huge puddle, a puddle so large it almost looked like a permanent feature of the forest. At the furthest edge of the puddle was a stack, or at least parts of a stack. All we could see were its antlers emerging from one end, and its hind legs from the other. A tree seemed to have fallen and trapped its head and forelegs. 
There was the sound, wet and desperate, as if the stag was screaming with every breath it had under the water, and the noises burst to the surface in bubbles, so that it wasn't so much one noise, but several. I made a move to go and help it, unable to bear it for much longer. There was so much suffering in the scream, and I was reminded of screaming underwater as a child, the way my voice suddenly sounded so alien under the surface. Amy stopped me. Wait, it'll drown. I made a move forward and she grabbed my coat, pulling me back. She was surprisingly strong for someone her size. Wait, it'll drown, Amy. In fact, because of this I gestured to her hand on my coat it's probably drowned already. She looked at me, made a face, think about it. Shit, I waited for a while. The scream continued, that half-human, half-animal, warbling scream continued. The antlers kept thrashing, churning the surface of the puddle into a white froth. The hind legs tried to find purchase somehow, but only worked themselves deeper and deeper into the mud. I watched the thing struggle for a few minutes until I was sure. She was right. It had drowned already. Whatever this thing was, it had drowned a long time ago and was somehow still alive. Well, if not alive, moving, screaming. Amy held a finger to her lips. Suddenly it seemed very, very important that we stay quiet. We made our way around the clearing taking care not to step on any branches or speak. We could hear the pat-pat-pat of rain dripping from leaves whenever the thing would take a second to regain its strength, before starting again, thrashing and wailing in the black water. We made it just before sundown. A well was situated in the middle of two large houses. They had thatched roofs, and whilst I couldn't tell you much about architecture, I could tell that they were old. So old that the forest seemed to have formed around them as if before there were the trees and the stags and the rain there were these two houses, nestled together in secret. Before we entered the first house, Amy said a few words. She made a small movement with her hand and opened the door. I wrinkled my nose, expecting the stink of rot and age, the stink of dead things trapped in chimneys and walls, but to my surprise, there was nothing. There wasn't even dust on the tables. If anything, it looked as if it's been left in a hurry. Notebooks are scattered across the floor, clothes are strewn everywhere, and there was an axe left propped against the wall. We were cautious, both too scared of the well to suggest splitting up, but not brave enough to suggest staying together. So, we made ourselves busy picking up the notebooks, trying to find something that might help us. We were aware that we had to do something, that our being here was necessary to stop this, but had no idea what had happened here, or what we had to do. I think if we had, we might have left straight away. In the notebooks, we found all sorts of things that only a week ago I'd never have believed. Records of languages like Gutter, which all had their own rules and requirements. High Mandarin, which can only be spoken inside certain palaces. Coral, which can only be spoken between lovers. Lanchuk, Trichton, Fei. Languages that rely entirely on someone else's answer, so that they can never be spoken alone. Languages can communicate things so dark and urgent that any living speaker would inevitably lose their mind. Languages for sinners and for saints, for drunks in the bottle, for artists in their art, for thieves and widows, for the dying and the dead. All of these languages could never be written down, never translated into words on the page, but instead could only be spoken. The notebooks only contained their histories, so far as our grandfathers knew them, details of their speakers and how they spread, notes on their syntax and context, on their dialects and geographies. Those that dedicated their lives to learning them were, are, known as tongues, collections of living languages, walking, talking histories. That's what our grandfathers were, tongues.
Arabs, travelers, scholars, obsessives. Try as we might, we couldn't find any journals, just collections of sporadic and often confused notes. We decided that we'd have a better look in the morning, that when it was light we'd explore both the houses, see if we could find out more about whatever deal was made, and what happened at the well. The well, lying like an open mouth between the two houses, its presence the implication of a throat beneath the earth, a stomach made from stone. The well was like an itch we couldn't scratch. We knew we had to face it at some point, to work out what it meant, to figure out what it was we had to do. But for now, we were tired and had spent the whole day walking. The well could wait for one night. We got into our respective beds and lay for a while. Neither one of us could sleep. The forest was muted. Every now and again something would scream in the distance, or there would be a sound like splintering wood. A stream somewhere burbled to itself. Amy spoke up. It was as if the dark gave her some cover, hid whatever part of her it was that she didn't want me to see in the daylight. I didn't mention it earlier, Max. The recording, what we talked about. They weren't actually your grandfather's last words. They weren't. No, his last breaths. Those two rasping sounds. They're not just inhales, exhales, they're words. In gutter, I swallowed a lump in my throat. And, if you listen closely after your grandfather stops shouting, you can hear Artie say two things in gutter. It's quiet and sounds like he's clearing his chest, but Artie's speaking. He tells your grandfather that he forgives him, and then he asks him a question. I bit my tongue and clenched my fists under the blanket, digging my nails into my palm. He asks him if he's ready, Max, if he's ready to go. And what does my grandfather say? Remember how I was saying that part of the meaning of gutter lies in the tension between the two versions. That part of the meaning lies in the fact that a word can mean two things at once. I remember. Artie asks him if he's ready to go if he's ready for what's next. And what your grandfather says with his last breath means two things. Yes and no. I know now that deep below our feet something older than name stirred. It heard our hushed voices above it, and knowing that we had no other choice, it waited. It had waited all this time, what was one night. It did not sleep. It could not sleep, but it could dream. Now, that was the end of my tale. I hope you enjoyed yourself, listening while escaping the world you live in. That is all for today. Safe travels, and a blessed day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.